We would like to advise that the following program may contain adult themes, occasional nudity, and language that may offend some listeners. Thank God it's... Sydney Writers Festival for a special literary edition of Thank God It's Friday. I'm Richard Glover and this week with the music, it's those great songwriters, Mondo Rock. And our panel, Wendy Harmer, Tommy Dean and Jeff Green. And our audience this week drawn from Armadale, Balmain, of course, Lane Cove, Dapto, Roselle and Barrowang. Barrowang! <laughs> but first, as always, here is the news from nowhere. Imagine the excitement if someone had just invented a thing called a book. Wired magazine would announce the development in a breathless cover story. The new device, which is completely portable, contains many hours of entertainment in a size that can fit easily into a jacket pocket. It requires no outside energy source and will last without upgrades for several hundred years. Users can fast forward through the text, enjoy text in slow motion, or reverse to study some text again simply with a flick of the eye for small jumps or of the hand for larger jumps. It is also immensely easy to bookmark using a device... <laughs> called a bookmark. <laughs> a swapping network has sprung up with the officiados sharing the new device with amazed friends and family. Remarkably, publishers and authors appear happy for users to steal content in this way, the government even encouraging such sharing through an invention called the library. <laughs> The new device is expected to have a huge take-up rate, limited only by the excitement due next week when Sony unveils its new product being developed under the top-secret codename, The Posted Letter. <laughs> Books, as I say, are great. They can also play a role in the art of seduction. Martin Amos understood this back when he wrote his first novel. In the Rachel papers, the young man prepares his flat for the arrival of the prospective girlfriend, placing impressive books face up on the bedside table so as to convince her he is a sensitive intellectual. I still see young men and women trying the same trick in cafes and bars, hunched over a copy of Flaubert or Camus, looking intense as they linger with a short black. How are you meant to achieve that with an iPad? Once it's all on download, they'll have to wear a sign around their necks, I'm reading Nietzsche, which might seem a little obvious. I certainly captured Jocasta by decorating my digs with the complete works of Joe Orton and August Strindberg and organising things so that when she first entered the room, I'd be lying shirtless on the bed, idly reading a biography of Chekhov. I was thinner then, Jeff. with the ability to visualise. I was thinner then, Wendy. It's true I had a very literary adolescence. Every night I'd hang out with my friends, smoking cigarettes, drinking coffee, and talking about Nietzsche, Sartre, Tolstoy, and other authors we'd never read. <laughs> the fact that we knew nothing about these books was not, we found, a barrier to expressing lengthy and passionately held views 
about their contents. Over time, your books build up. You cart them from house to house, thus developing useful muscle tone, and they provide this instant guide to your enthusiasms, both passing and constant. A book bought 30 years ago sits loyally on the shelf, ready to be plucked out on a whim. Sometimes you find it has been underlined or annotated by your own 15-year-old self, maybe with a train ticket or a forgotten letter lurking within. And rereading them, you wonder why a certain word was underlined or why a paragraph was greeted with a forest of exclamation marks. These are time capsules of your younger self. You are also usefully mocked by your own youthful follies. As I look at my bookshelf from the selected works of Lenin in three volumes to the Reader's Digest book of home plumbing. The same question repeats itself. What was I thinking? Best of all, constant use means that any sexually explicit book will naturally fall open at the raunchiest page. Try that with an iPad. The physical book, this beautiful invention, this instant invitation to another world. Here at the Sydney Writers' Festival, I propose a toast. Here's to the book! That's news from nowhere. Uh, Wendy Harmer, Tommy Dean and Jeff Green are here. Let's check. Let me check. That you are up with this week's news. Uh, Before I go on, though, I, 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 I I haven't thought about this in years until you said it. Um, but I once had a tour de fair with a costume designer at a summer stock theater that I was participating in uh, because I overheard her one night uh, talking to her friend about a book she had read by Tom Robbins called Jitterbug Perfume. Mm-hmm. And I had heard of the book. And so I said, yeah, Tom Robbins, unbelievable. That Jitterbug Perfume is quite a book. And that set off an affair that lasted for a crazy summer. And then eventually it broke up, but I wasn't quite sure why it broke up. It could have been the uh, massive age difference. It could have been the new summer stock group coming in. But then I noticed years later when I actually read Jitterbug Perfume, <laughs> she had done quite a few things that referred to the book that I had not picked up on. <laughs> I have a feeling I had been found out. Uh, uh, thank God for reading. Uh, now, uh, let's check you up with this week's news. Yeah. Who, who yeah. doctored a report from his own doctor? Who doctored a report from his own doctor? Oh, well, I suspect it is Donald Trump, uh, because he um, it came out... Well, I think we all suspected anyway when he had this glowing report for his health that, um, that Donald has, Donald's hand uh, was, was behind it. And the doctor said that Donald actually dictated that. Uh, he actually didn't write it because his fingers can't reach the, um, they can't reach the <laughs> keys because they're a little short and stubby. But... Um, and also the fact that Donald is a bit of a real estate um, salesman anyway. So he said, I think he said um, his blood pressure is excellent, his stamina extraordinary, he has wonderful built-in robes and majestic views of Central Park <laughs> cover fate. And uh, I think that gave it away to me. It is, Tommy, it is true that oh, yeah. Donald Trump's doctor now says he did not write that amazingly glowing medical report. No, and I am pretty sure, given what he looks like, he's going to come out soon and admit that he's not actually a doctor. <laughs> He's a pretty wild and it's crazy a wild looking looking guy. Yeah. He looks, a, bit he like looks a... like a doctor in the sense that you refer to your illegal drug dealer as the doc. <laughs> we should go see the doc and get yeah, on it this yeah, weekend. Yeah, yeah. He looked like Les Patterson's younger brother. That's, uh... <laughs> um, 
But anyway, sorry. I'm going to leap to the fence, to the defence of Donald here, mm-hmm. because I think that this is pretty standard practice to exaggerate either your health record or your sick note. And I'm just going to ask everybody to put their hand up and admit how many of you have sat in a doctor's surgery, you're given one of those forms that you're supposed to fill out about your health record, and you, you know, you fill out your name and then you fill out your address and your postcode, then you start to exaggerate a little, don't you think? When it gets to, for instance, uh, alcohol intake. <laughs> what do you write in there? Well, certainly not. I mean, I walked past a bottle of Pinot Noir in 1997, perhaps, but I certainly haven't had a drink since then. Um, how much exercise do you do in a week? Well, what, you mean apart from marathon running, base jumping, stand-up paddle boarding, triathlons? See acceptance from NASA for admission into space program. <laughs> you know, that's what I wrote on mine. And the other side of that too, of course, is who hasn't faked a sick note in their time, of course, when you were young? I remember when I was young, I faked so many sick notes to get out of sport because of my period, they must have thought I was bleeding to death. (laughs) I'm surprised I wasn't hauled off for a transfuse. (laughs) So I'm giving him a leave pass, really. The opposite is the mystery. I remember I used to fake sick notes uh, for my school because I could sign my father's name perfectly. Uh, but I, I thought mystery was where it would be. Uh, please excuse Tommy. Uh, he was not in school yesterday. Uh, we can give you details about the incident if you like, but they're rather unpleasant and could embarrass him. <laughs> <laughs> but he was quite sick. All right, now, another question. Who, uh, who are ruining the day they decided to take now, a I'm tourist really, trip? I, I feel terrible for Dave on, on this one because, I mean, Jeff, rather. I mean, Jeff, I feel sorry for Dave. I didn't give a crap about that, <laughs> Jeff. Um, I feel sorry for Jeff here because he's a visitor uh-huh. and he doesn't really need to hear. Uh, what have you learnt about this bloodthirsty story, Jeff? This bloodthirsty story, for, for, um, this is, a, this is a, um, a, a group of kangaroos at a... Mob. At a, a mob. Big, oh, beg your pardon. Yes, that's right. If you're going to be a visitor, kangaroos. Jeff... It's a mob of kangaroos, yes. It's a murder of crows, parliament of owls and a dose of crabs. That's, uh, <laughs> that's what I've always known. Um... So, uh, yes, uh, this, so this mob of kangaroos has, has, has gone rogue on, uh, on these tourists that have come to visit them, and, uh, and, and they've, uh, they've sort of been handing out carrots and, and McDonald's, and then, and then they, they take this food away, and the mob have been attacking them. And people are blaming the tourists, but I think it's not the tourists' fault. I was brought up on Skippy, right? I expect a benign kangaroo experience. If I approach a kangaroo, I expect to be assisted uh, fr- right, in a friendly manner uh, to, to, to solving a crime, not a claw to the abdomen, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> I absolutely agree. In fact, I would be just as angry if somebody had a moment ago fed me McDonald's and then tried to give me a carrot. I'm going to cut them open in half, too. <laughs> okay, the people are blaming Instagram, though. They say the problem is the tourists, these are advertised on tourist websites yep. that you can get a great selfie yep. with the kangaroos. Yep. All you've got to do is take some carrots. Well, so scores of people are going every day with carrots and trying to nuzzle up to the kangaroos. Well, the, yeah. the, the thing is, the thing is about this, it's a little known fact that carrots are like crack cocaine to kangaroos. That's the fact of it. Now, tourists have been told not to supply the kangaroos with the carrots. I think we want to be really, really careful here, people, because you don't want the ruse to suddenly be coming down 
you know, withdrawing and take the whole thing into their own hands. Mm. Like you don't need a bunch of ruse coming in from the city with pouches full of carrots, you know, um, um, offering them to wallabies and possums. The whole thing spirals out of control. Untold numbers of carrot-addicted marsupials dealing out of trees, you know, attracting undesirables. I think we've got to wean these ruse off the hard stuff gradually and put them into rehop programs. (laughs) (laughs) Points off. But people, people are making terrible mistakes because look at evolution has shown them basically kangaroos look exactly like slightly cuter Tyrannosaurus rex. (laughs) They're tiny little arms up the front and they're giant ripping big feet. They got a little pouch to keep your head in when they cut it off. (laughs) They are clearly... Clearly the killers. Anyway, look... They're the sharks of the paddock. You really haven't put a full day in Australia unless you've had a brush with death. So big deal. Exactly. Can I I say, um, I've had an experience. I I was camping in Wilson's Promontory. There's your first problem. It was very... Yeah, yeah. When you go into into the campsite, it says, um, no no cats, no dogs, no firearms. I think, well, yeah, dogs and firearms. But cats, who's taking their cat camping? When do you ever go to Ray's Outdoors as a bloke saying, have you got a sleeping bag about this size, please? But, um, um, and I found myself... That was a visual joke for the people uh, <laughs> listening at home. It and it was hilarious. It was a very small sleeping bag, probably the size of a cat. But I found myself um, with a wombat in my tent. Oh. And it found its way in, to, uh, trying to get to me perishables in the back of the tent. Oh. We were supposed to Is keep... that a euphemism? <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing perishable about these like <laughs> Their long life. And, um, um, yes, but I found myself uh, having to get a wombat out of a tent. I, I'm, I'm loath to use the term wombat combat, but that was what I was invo- engaged in. And I'm trying to get out. And it was trying to bite me. They make this noise. Mah, 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 mah. Mah, mah, mah. My wife says they're not supposed to do that. I said, well, he never got the memo, did he? Because, uh, <laughs> yeah, so I got this bloody so, 40 so what, kilos of muscle and claw out So there. what happened when, the kids slept through when you wrote home and you said... Oh, I've just been trying to get a wombat out of my tent. What happened then when your English friends read that? They said, it's a euphemism, isn't it, Jeff? Swipe me, Gavner. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I travel with me wombat in Australia. It's, it's not the first time that, um, you know, the incidents happen in, in Australia with, with tourists and people getting savaged by, uh, by animals. You, you are known for it. Yes, we are. Yes. The yeah. dro- the dro- beginning with the drop bears and going on from there. Yeah. Now, um, who, who, um, who, who has started a class war against industrial era teaching. What's this about? You know stuff about education. Well, you know, we're talking about Gonski here and the, all this business, but I'm going to just jump that chart for you a bit, Richard, because the biggest story in education today, this week, has been come from Andrew Laming, the MP from Queensland, who suggested that teachers should work. Feel free. Ladies and gentlemen, to work a 38-hour week and have four weeks holiday like everybody else. What a really good idea. Of course, the teachers weren't having any of it. I always think it's fascinating that politicians think There's that they've yeah, got something to teach teachers, despite never having done the job themselves. And you know what? I'd love to be a fly on the wall at the next Parliament House High Assembly next week in Canberra. Good morning, Senators and MPs. Welcome to the winter term. 
Now, as you know, the admin staff tell me they've had to deal with multiple addresses for some students who've ended up out of area. We've already lost 11 students. Scott Lublin, Marissa Waters, and Malcolm Roberts, Jackie Lambert, etc. Please, please try and, ladies and gentlemen, fill out your forms correctly. And uh, if you don't know whether you're an elig eligible to be enrolled at Parliament House High, ask your parents. Thank you. <laughs> A few disciplinary matters to attend to. Pauline Hanson, you have been told, Miss Hanson, a burqa is not an approved uniform. <laughs> I don't care if you're wearing your hat underneath, you can understand it's a bit hard to tell. See me later, Pauline. Peter Dutton, there's been a complaint here from the students that you've turned up in your Border Force uniform and ruined Harmony Day for everyone again. <laughs> Please don't do it. And don't bother staring at me like that, Julie Bishop. It won't work. <laughs> Tony Abbott, you promised there'll be no wrecking, no undermining, no sniping. It just so happens that Liberal Party Pre-Selection Committee for Warringah is conducting a workshop in the library this afternoon. I would expect you to be there. Bill Shorten. Oh, you're here at last, Bill. Excellent. You finally turned up. We were wondering what happened to you. Uh, I'll be setting you some extra homework on Manus Island and Nauru. See me afterwards. Now, on to your major assignments, Scott Morrison and Matthias Corman. Look, I'll separate you two. Get yourselves straight round to see the economics teacher who'd like a word on your major budget assignment, which is due on Tuesday. They tell me it's indecipherable. But at least there's no cigar smoking this year, Matthias, which is something, I suppose. Finally, students, another note here from front office for everyone, please. The school lollipop man, John Howard, may still think he's the one who decides who come to this school and the circumstances in which they come, but he isn't. He's retired. And just one more thing. Anyone who needs to see Matron, the helicopter will pick you up <laughs> from the back oval unless you're a socialist and you can walk. Thank you. Dismissed. With Richard Glover. We have Wendy Hummer, Tommy Dean and Jeff Green and talking about who's playing what. Jeff Green is playing the Factory Theatre next Friday night as part of the Sydney Comedy Festival. So he doesn't come to Sydney a lot, so go and see him at the Factory next uh, Friday, today, week. Uh, now, we're here to celebrate writing, so how about comedy writing? What was your favourite TV sitcom growing up and what was your favourite sitcom as an adult? And what was it about the writing that made it sing? Jeff Green. Um, well, I grew up with uh, quite a rich uh, tapestry of, sta of sitcoms uh, on television, on the BBC and ITV. I grew up with Dad's Army, Steptoe and Son, Rising Damp, um, some mothers do have them. Uh, I remember the first ever episode of um, uh, the one where they're, they're in the, uh, they're in the, the shop it's the, uh, with, with Captain Peacock. Oh, well, yeah. Oh. Are you being served? Are you being served, yeah. That's right, I'm yeah. I'm free. I'm free, yeah. And that was, that was, that was edgy in 1973. <laughs> and, um, but it was, it was, yeah, they were great. When I, was, uh, when I got older, when I went to university, I loved uh, the young ones, obviously, Ben Elton. And then, um, and then as I think uh, Ben Elton and Richard Curtis with Blackadder, mm -hmm. which is probably one of my favourites. It also brought a tear to the eye in the final Blackadder, when they have to go over the top in the First World War, and you know that they're not coming back. And, and it freezes, doesn't it? It freezes, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's hard to get pathos in, into a sitcom. Yeah, well, 
not that hard. Um, but um, but they pulled it off there. Yeah, there was a lot of pathos in how you're being served, I think. <laughs> <laughs> it certainly was. Um, and obviously, the, a couple of the interactions between um, Blackadder and Baldrick uh, were great. Um, was it uh, Baldrick says, you know, you know, my dad was a nun. Blackadder says, no, he wasn't. And Baldrick says, he was, sir. He was too, sir. Because whenever he was in court and the judge asked occupation, he'd say, none. <laughs> <laughs> What about, what about Father Ted? Because I know your part, your, you've helped organise Graham Linehan to come out and teach some writing school, uh, lessons in both Melbourne and Sydney. Yeah, yeah. Well, I suppose there's probably two Shakespeare's of, of, of British sitcom, yeah. and that would be Ben Elton and Graham Linehan. Yeah. Graham Linehan wrote Father Ted. He wrote The IT Crowd. He wrote Black Books. He also directed um, Spaced and Big Train. He's got quite a pedigree. Um, and, and Count Arthur Strong, was, uh, a couple of them were in the, the top 20 um, sitcoms of, of, uh, of the 20th century. I'm very pleased to say that we, we've invited Graham Linehan to Sydney on the 23rd and 24th of June Brilliant. to deliver a one-day writing course Woo-hoo. called Insights into the Art of TV Comedy Writing. It's almost sold out in Melbourne. There's a few tickets left in Sydney. It's at the Eternity Playhouse mm-hmm. on the 23rd and 24th. In Donnerhurst, yeah. Yep. Um, early bird tickets end on Thursday. And I, if you've got any interest in, in the joy of TV comedy writing, and Graham Linehan, his is, is, is the absolute yep. top well, of the tree. I mean, Shakespeare, yeah. Father Ted, for me, is the toppity, 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 toppity most of the tree. And uh, I, I, I just adore it so much. I've got a couple of quotes here um, from Dougal. Oh, God, Ted, I've heard about those cults, everyone dressing in black and saying our Lord's coming to come back and judge us all. And Ted says, no, no, Dougal, that's us. That's Catholicism you're talking about there. <laughs> and that, excuse the bad accent. Another one from Father Ted. I'm not a fascist. I'm a priest. Fascists dress up, dress up in black and tell people what to do. Whereas priests... <laughs> I mean, there's just so many brilliant, yeah. brilliant... Oh, go on, oh, go on, oh, go on, oh, go on. What a fantastic catchphrase. And we can't even leave this stage without saying, drink, feck, arse, girls! <laughs> I have to say that. What a, it, he is so brilliant. And always remember, never kick Bishop Brenham up the arse. I mean, who loves Father Ted? Do you love? Um, yeah. You know what I love yeah. about it Black so Box much. Too. What I love about it so much is that it is so bold. It is so bold to take on Catholicism, Irish Catholicism, which is so entrenched in the country. And 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 I, I wonder if you can tell me a little bit more about how it was received. No, well, it wasn't. This... It wasn't screened in Ireland Wait. until until later. I know yeah. this because Shannon Horgan says that uh, Sharon Horgan says that when she came to London as a young woman, she saw it for the first time. Is that right? And it didn't screen on RET or whatever it's called. RT, yeah, yeah, RT, yeah. Uh, until, you know, some years later. Yeah. yeah. Oh, well, I mean, if you're Irish um, and you want to be an iconoclast, there's only one target, really, <laughs> isn't there? And that's the Catholic Church. So, and if you can write something hilarious and, 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 uh, and, uh, and I say, uh, and something that's going to knock the establishment, which is still entrenched in, in Ireland, although they are progressive. They're a lot more progressive these days than the British in many ways, in terms of their embracing of um, same-sex marriage and that kind of stuff. I, um, I loved one particular um, uh, guy that, uh, that wrote Miranda. He's a, um, Miranda's uh, another sitcom. It's one of my favourites. He's called James Kerry. And he said, sitcoms are character, 
plus conflict, plus confinement, plus catastrophe, catastrophe can't even say it, plus catchphrases, plus casting. And you put all that together yeah. and, you, and, you, and, you, and you stir it around and you hope it's going to grow to the souffle. And a Father Ted or yeah, yeah, a Black yeah. Books. Tommy, what did you watch growing up? What did you like later on? Well, first off, I have to admit that I don't know what any of the last five minutes was talking about. <laughs> I feel like there's a hole in my comedy upbringing. Oh, well, you will, I mean... I'm... And I'm aware of some of it. Like, some of it I know we borrowed. Like, you mentioned Steptoe and Son. Yeah. Uh, but I am aware of the American remake, which was called Sanford and Son. Uh, that, was, uh, that, was, that was fun. Um, and we also had All in the Family, which was a remake of, a, uh, of an English sitcom, which I forget the name, I think it was called... Start again? From Death is Do Part. Yeah. Mm. Yes. Yeah. And, then, and we did it in Australia too, was it? With Ted Bullpit, didn't we? We made our own version. But what was worse about all no, of the I think ours was called The Menzies Government. <laughs> <laughs> but all in the family, the main character in the American version was called Archie Bunker, and he was the great, you know, sexist, racist, homophobe in the center of it. But all of the sitcom, you know, sort of tore down all of his, he was kind of the center point they all attacked, uh, which was the point of the show, except I remember watching it. It was supposed to be funny, but my parents uh, really would get angry at the show because Archie made so much sense. <laughs> and all of his family were just being mean to him. <laughs> it's a documentary. It's disturbing. Uh, well, I loved all those high-concept comedies as a kid. I loved F Troop, and, uh, and I loved especially Get Smart, you know. And you look at Get Smart, you look back now, and with what's going on with Donald Trump and uh, Putin, it's like a documentary, actually. Yeah. <laughs> That's how, how it looks. But I love those really, as I say, high concept. My mother is a car. Now, that was a cracker. I don't know how... And that goes back away. Mr. Ed, Mike. I mean, no-one would make a show like that anymore, you know, and we probably with Hogan's good Heroes was the... Hogan's, <laughs> Hogan's Heroes. Heroes. That was my, my favourite... Uh, my babysitter's favorite, my babysitter. I, for years, I didn't have any idea what was going on with Hogan's Heroes, but he loved it. I know and nothing. Then, uh, so, but then, like, it was, I remember years later, Gilbert Gottfried, the American stand-up comic, uh, does a great bit about, you know, can you imagine trying to pitch <laughs> Hogan's Heroes? It's World War II. They're all in a German prison camp. They could die at any time. And it's a comedy. <laughs> But the show that caught my ear, probably the first one I really recognized for writing, was Cheers. Uh-huh. Uh, the American yes. sitcom Cheers. Yep. And again, so many repeating jokes, uh, so many standard uh, you know, character beats. That was probably the first one I recognized writing, as it were, callbacks, character-specific work. Uh, you know, the confinement of the bar uh, was all those things you just explained were all right there. They were all yeah. confined in the bar. They had the conflict. They had all the characters. Obviously, one of the greatest casts ever assembled for television. It was amazing. Yeah. And then so much so that one of the minor characters then spins off Frasier, which is, goes for yeah. another 10 series. <laughs> well, there's a very interesting theory about this, too, in American sitcoms, particularly. In an article I read a million years ago called It's Not a Stand Up Without, it's not a sitcom, rather, without a stand up. And the idea being, if it goes back to Jackie Gleason, okay, the first sort of stand-up at the Honeymooners, you know, Alice to the moon. Um, and if you look at Dick Van Dyke's show, Everybody Loves Raymond, uh, Seinfeld, right through to Roseanne, the idea is that you put a stand-up in the middle of these shows, a stand-up comic, and you surround that comedian with a whole lot of characters, like in Seinfeld, you've got no, Elaine and Kramer. So hang on, a, a stand-up surrounded by normal people, that's 702, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> Something like that. But, but the idea being that you, I, the, the, the stand-up comic almost speaks to you through 
through the camera. You are the stand-up. They are you. And all the rest of the characters around them are all the kind of crazy people. And it's a really interesting theory, mm. and it works. It's worked for many, many sitcoms. Yeah, uh, Roseanne Barr, of course, was, uh, which yeah. has been resurrected yes. and, uh, and is doing well. Probably my favourite sitcom is, uh, is Faulty Towers. Um, and uh, which actually only, wasn't successful. Only made when it, twelve or something. Thirteen, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the um, the BBCs went, yeah, that'll do. Um, <laughs> I, I reckon that's all done now. Thanks, thanks, John. Yeah. But, there should um, be more of that actually, because I really was as far as like most recent. I loved Modern Family for the first two or three seasons. Mm. I thought it was so perfectly written. And now eight eight seasons later, I, 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 uh, yeah, yeah. you start feeling the repeat. But too long. Tough to catch. Too long. Thirteen. It lives forever. Not even yeah. Monty Python's Flying Circus doesn't have that many episodes, yeah, yeah. and yet everyone remembers all of it and still love it greatly. And repeats it at parties. Repeats it at parties. <laughs> exactly. Are we ready for the Wheel of Death, ladies and gentlemen? Well, this week it is all about books, of course, so we have taken some of the titles of books that are at this festival, and we have given the title, one title each, to the people in our front row. Tommy can't see the titles, of course, but he can pick one of the people and he will get a title and then tell us what this book is all about. He's a very literary man. He knows a lot about the books at this uh, festival, so it'll be fine. The books are Does My Head Look Big in This, The Lotus War, The Impossible Story of Olive in Love, In the Garden of the Fugitives, The Feel Good Hit of the Year, The First Third, Daring to Drive, The Natural Way of Things, Six Bedrooms, Strawberry Hills Forever, Gorilla and the Bird, Peach, What We Lose, Heart Talk, The Dead Man Dance, Life on the Ground Floor, and Year of the Orphan. And you know what's even weird? This is such a weird coincidence. That is exactly all of the titles on the track list of Mondo Rock's anthology. <laughs> it's curious, isn't it? So pick one of these beautiful people in the front row or this in the second row. All right, who's got the best title? Show me. Show me <laughs> don't, show the, don't show them the titles. All right, this fine lady in the excellent scarf. This fine lady in the excellent, excellent scarf. scarf. Hold it up. Show me the Hold title. Hold up the title is Six Bedrooms. Oh, six yeah. Bedrooms. <laughs> what is Six Bedrooms? Well, I feel, I, feel, I feel like a cheater. Uh, in that of all the books on this list, this is the one that I have read six times. <laughs> so I, uh, I'm looking forward now. This is a little review. Uh, I, and I think sometimes books suffer in the world of movie and television uh, because movies and television are sold with such big voice advertisement and books don't get the same sort of roar that they get. So I'm going to try to give this a little bit of that, you know, coming soon movie. So, you know, ladies and gentlemen... From the creator of so many other things. Or perhaps this is her first book. Six Bedrooms. It's a story about a house that has six bedrooms. Each and every one of them on a different level with a different story to tell. It is a magnificently deep, deep book. It has the narrative expanse of the Bible. In fact, it's almost as important as the Bible. Long after you've read six bedrooms, you and your friends will still pick out passages from it, interpret them to your desires, and then start a cult. <laughs> it's that good. This book is literally impossible to put down because six bedrooms has been impregnated with a superglue that is, <laughs> that is activated by your finger sweat. It is a fantastic story. Some say every single story ever told 
is contained within each and every one of these bedrooms, and yet it is a story you have never heard. <laughs> it is an amazing book. All the booksellers are going crazy for it. Glee Books calls it in stock. <laughs> Amazon Book calls it available now. Delivered by tomorrow if you have Prime. And Kindle Books calls it, don't be stupid, actually buy the book this time. <laughs> Six bedrooms. If you thought seven was too many and five was not enough, this book is perfect for you. <laughs> buy it today. <laughs> Six bedrooms. As read by Tommy Jane. Uh, what, what is it actually? What is it actually? Oh, okay. It's every genre ever made. <laughs> Shut up! Oh, sorry. Written by Australian Tegan Bennett Daylight, Six Bedrooms is a collection of ten stories, in fact, that capture the dangerous, tilting terrain of becoming adult, from loss and risk to sexual longings and wreckage. I was right! Every story <laughs> ever told! <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Tegan Bennett, Daylights, a Sydney writer, six bedrooms as uh, reviewed by Tommy Dean. Uh, on Thank God It's Friday, we have Wendy Harmer, Tommy Dean and Jeff Green. Um, here's, here's, my, uh, here's my question for you. Publishers are always looking for a book which they can label the book that will change your life. Considering your various personal problems, what are some of the titles you'd like to see written in order to help you out? And what advice might they Contain. Jeff Green. How to fold a fitted sheet. <laughs> Needs no other introduction. How to, cook a, how to cook a roast dinner. Now, I know there's cookbooks out there, and I, I, and I love roast dinners, but I can never manage to... How do they get it all hot at the same time? You know, the peas are cooked, the potatoes done, the meat are... You come to my house, it's peas at six, po- <laughs> potatoes at midnight, meat on Tuesday, and I'll post you the gravy. Right? Um... Uh, choosing the right lane on on an Australian freeway (laughs) because it's it's just chaos isn't it? I mean you've got tradies on the inside, drug addled truckies on the outside, some nearly dead grey nomad in the middle doing 30k's (laughs) weaving through all that's a pea plater that's fitted a McLaren exhaust to his Toyota Starlet (laughs) he's got five homophobic friends in the back mooning people and shouting homophobic slurs Behind him is a, is a teenage princess in her dad's BMW X5 that wants to show that women can multitask by driving, texting, putting a lipstick on in the rearview mirror and crashing the car all at the same time. <laughs> and coming from the inside is some toothless battler, 10 IQ points beho- behind, below dickhead, that's got his car held together with gaffer tape and hope. <laughs> Choose a lane, somebody. A very accurate picture of Australia he yeah. paints over there. Very exciting. Fresh eyes, isn't it? Yeah. Wendy Harmer, how, how, what, what health, a self-help book would help self-help you? self-help book. I've been given this book a lot. Um, I've been given it for Christmas uh, by various um, family members. I've been giving it for my birthday. And by reputable health practitioners. It's called... It's not so much a book as a pamphlet, really. From New South Wales Health on Drug and Alcohol Consumption. <laughs> Fortunately, I've been too rat-ass to read it, but I believe it's very good. <laughs> Tommy, I, how it's can on the we... the bedside table. I meant to get around to it. <laughs> how, can, how can we help you? Well, it could be a few things. Uh, as a man with growing children, financial stress is a big part of our lives, so I 
some sort of book. I, I think I call it something simply like, uh, get rich now. <laughs> but the hook is, and I really hope publishers take this up, between every page is a $100 bill. <laughs> it fulfills its promise almost right instantly. There. Like, literally, now. Yeah. You get rich now. Yeah. Keep reading. Uh, I think I have a lot of problems with procrastination as well, so I think a, a book called, you know, Stop Procrastinating, uh, my guess is it would only be acceptable to me <coughs> as, a, as an audiobook. <laughs> and it would have to, you know, start playing itself as it arrived in the post. <laughs> that, that would be helpful. Uh, this guy's a stud. That'd be, I think, books like that. You could put those on the nightstand. So instead of trying to read Chekhov and look sexy, just have a variety of books. This guy knows his stuff. <laughs> Pleasure is yours. <laughs> that would be sweet. And uh, the last one is with so many kids. I know there's heaps of books about parenting, uh, but so many of those books are so in-depth about, you know, what you need to give your children and how much you need to love your children and how children are the most important thing that there is in the world. And I think a lot of us just need a book that says, they'll be fine, ignore them. <laughs> Benign neglect is what I've heard it turned as, Tommy. My answer to Stephen Bidoff. <laughs> Too much work, Stephen, just let them go. Give them an iPad, go. they'll figure it out. <laughs> Who were the winners and losers? good name for a book. Give them an iPad, they'll figure it out. <laughs> Who were the winners and losers of this week? Wendy Hummer. Oh, well, I'm nominating loser of the week, uh, Angela Shanahan from The Australian. Sorry. She wrote an article uh, about the New Zealand Prime Minister, Jacinda Ardern, uh, and said it would be hard for her to be a Prime Minister and have a baby at the same time because, quote, being a greenie lefty, she will try to use her own milk. Now... I didn't know that breastfeeding your baby, uh, well, they would be at risk of growing up to be Chardonnay latte-sipping lefties. Um, Powerful stuff, breast milk. I think there's too much emphasis from the right wing of politics on, um, well, liquids and drinking just generally. I just don't know what that's about. But anyway, I didn't know only uh, a greeny lefties breastfed. There you go. That's there you go. That's the loser. Have you got a winner? Yes, I do have a winner. Where have I put my winner, 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 winner? I did have a winner. Oh, yes. Anyone who got here from the, to, to the Sydney Writers Festival here in Carriage Works and found a car park. <laughs> Pretty much. And doesn't need a water bag, a billy, a camp roll and a change of dogs to get back to the car. Thank you. <laughs> Jeff Green, who were the winners and losers of this week? Um, a couple of losers. Kanye West that said that uh, slavery was a choice, and um, his, his uh, well, the whole movement back 400 years, I suspect, the same as um, Rudy Giuliani, uh, that was uh, employed by uh, Donald Trump to, to go out there and, and put out some fires and just set several more fires uh, <laughs> just to just to compensate for the for the fire dousing that he'd been engaged in. Um, and, of course, probably a couple of the winners um, was... Uh, oh, the one winner is, is um, Harry Potter fans, where J.K. Rowling uh, finally apologised for killing off Dobby, the house elf, apparently. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Yes. I'm still waiting for Spoiler alert. <laughs> I haven't got up to that one. It's, uh, right. Are you OK? okay. Yeah, it's sure, it's sure, Tommy? Well, I knew somebody was died, but I didn't know who. I imagine much worse. <laughs> I'll be fine. So you're the loser of the week. <laughs> Very ruined. Who's your winner and loser? Tommy. I thought, uh, I thought uh, most likely the best, the winner of the week uh, on so many levels 
uh, was uh, the French president, Macron. Uh, because how, how, how many people can get away with calling the prime minister's wife delicious? <laughs> and I know a lot of people say it's just a little bit of a slip of the, the foreign language, and, yeah, but he said it on purpose. He's French. He totally said delicious, knowing he could pretend he didn't say delicious. And he's going to say it again. It I've been could, saying it, could, it, all it could have been succulent, which might have been just a tad worse. <laughs> but... right. Your life is so unctuous. <laughs> no, I mean, she's very anxious. I mean, anxious. Yeah, yeah. Not unctuous. Ooh, that's so delicious. <laughs> <laughs> he's so good. Uh, he's so good. Uh, and the loser, I had Gianni as well. Because uh, it's so funny. Because uh, Trump, it's so funny. Uh, I still think that we live in a world where comedy is slowly giving way to reality. And <laughs> we, you used to make all these jokes, and I'm starting to feel that we have just impregnated so much funny in the world that it had to come out through the leader of the free world, <laughs> who continually finds characters to make it worse than you ever thought it could be. All you need to do, Rudy, is just go on TV and say, nope. Okay, I got it, Don, I got it. I would just like to say, even though you didn't ask me, Donald totally paid her the money. <laughs> I know we were talking about something else, Sean Hannity, but he totally paid her with money. And it wasn't campaign money, it was money from the campaign. <laughs> it was $35,000 a month. Yeah. Even billionaires have to get their hock-a-hosh money on lay-by. <laughs> I know a lot of people still wonder where Jimmy Hoffa's buried, but Donald knows he killed him. <laughs> Why couldn't he have paid all the money in one go? He's a billionaire. So he says. Tax reasons. <laughs> Tax reasons. Uh, Jeff Green, tell us about the show. It's on Friday week. It's on Friday week, uh, yeah. Which I, I noticed it doesn't have, you know, Tommy, Tommy went to all this effort of, of giving his show a title. You haven't even got a title. My title is 30. And it is the 30th year since I started doing stand-up. I did my first gig when Ronald Reagan was president. Yeah, that's half the audience going, that's a long time. The others are going, who the hell is Ronald Reagan? That's why he said it. A lot of people don't know that. Jeff Green was doing a show in East Berlin, and Ronald Reagan was like, I want to see that show. Tear down that wall! I have to get to Jeff Green's show. Uh, that was 1990. Mine was 1988. But anyway, I take your reference, thanks. Yeah, well, go, <laughs> go and see Jeff Green uh, today, week... 9pm, the... 11th of May at the Factory Theatre. Factory Theatre, exactly. It's part of the Sydney Comedy Festival. Please thank Wendy Hammer, Tommy Dean and Jeff Green. This has been part of our special literary edition of Thank God It's Friday. Next week, Tommy Dean, Rebecca De Unamuno and Gary Eck. Our music next week from Ireland's Mary Coughlin. She'll be wonderful. Until then, I'm Richard Glover. Thank God It's Friday! Yeah!